Well, hello and welcome to Beyond Church. Please grab a seat if you're standing up. Uh, for those who don't know me, I am the very drenched, I mean absolutely saturated Joshua Cookle, and um, I'm part of the leadership team here at Beyond. Now, if you see me shaking at any point and my arm twitching, it might be because I'm absolutely freezing, because I'm absolutely saturated, or it might be because I was just enjoying the coffee and I'm about four coffees in, so I'm absolutely buzzing at this point. So, yeah, please excuse that. As uh, Chris uh, brought up earlier, um, Beyond has turned one, and uh, we're going to be launching our brand new series, and we uh, ran out of names, so we're just going to call it Brand New. And um, one year ago, we launched um, a brand new church, and you're sitting in it, and um, when we launched this church, uh, Beyond, we didn't want it to be like any other church. We wanted Beyond Church to be a different church, uh, a church designed for unchurched people, people who've never stepped into church before, could come in and enjoy and experience church. So one year ago, we launched Beyond Church in 2015, and that was something new to 2015. Also, 2015 brought a whole stack of other new things. I think in 2015, we saw the release of the Apple iPhone watch. Uh, we saw Cadbury, for some reason, they thought they'd uh, release a new uh, chocolate Cadbury thing, and for some reason, they thought uh, Vegemite would be good and mix with chocolate really well. And they released that brand new flavor and I went in and bought it and absolutely spat it out. I think I had like maybe a corner of it because Vegemite and chocolate just don't mix. Um, so Cadbury released a brand new chocolate thing. I think um, we had the largest gathering of single men in the history of um, society with the new release of the, the new Star Wars film last year. Um, I think uh, Justin Bieber, um, he hit the scenes last year with his brand new album and then all of a sudden it became socially acceptable to uh, listen to Justin Bieber and pump out to him. 2015 brought a lot of brand new things and um, it's really funny, when it comes to brand new things, there are kind of three different ways you can react to them. Some people love it, some people hate it and then some people just don't use it to where it's full potential. And they're kind of the three ways you can react to new. Like, you, you absolutely love when, um, I think, when, when you get buy new clothes. You absolutely love it. And you, I, I reckon when I buy new clothes, I think I wear the same shirt all week long. And I wash it about four times because I absolutely love my new shirts. And then when it comes to, um, but sometimes when you get a new thing, you absolutely hate it. Um, I think when it comes to haircuts, I don't think in the history of haircuts, no one's ever enjoyed a haircut. We all hate them, right? So much so that um, it takes about two weeks after you get a haircut to enjoy a haircut. So, um... If, if, you, if you're looking to like, you know, get your hair right for your wedding, you, you get your hair cut two weeks in advance. If you've got school photos, you get your hair cut two weeks in advance because when you get a new haircut, it absolutely sucks and you absolutely hate it. I hate haircuts so much that I um, stopped paying for them. I cut my own hair and it's a bit, it's a bit bad, but I'm like, well, I'm going to hate it anyway. I might as well just get it for free. And when we, when we get new things, we absolutely hate it. And then sometimes, sometimes we just don't use it to its full potential. Sometimes, you know, we don't hate it, we don't love it, but it's just kind of in between and we just don't know how to use it. Um, for me, it's when, I, when it comes to social media or technology. For some reason, um, the rest of my generation understand how to use technology except for me. Um, when it comes to Facebook, my 70-year-old grandma knows how to update her Facebook status better than me. Uh, when it comes to operating an iPad, my four-year-old cousin knows how to operate an iPad better than me. I just don't know how to use this brand new technology. And they're kind of the three ways we can react to new. And as we're going to discover um, along this series, we're going to be looking at 
the fact that Jesus brought something brand new as well. He brought something brand spanking new when he stepped onto the pages of history 2,000 years ago. And the people uh, living around that time in the community that was living at that time reacted in the same three ways. Some people absolutely loved him. Some people hated him. And some people didn't, didn't really like him, didn't really hate him, but they just didn't take his teachings and apply it and uh, use it to its full potential. Some people loved him so much so that they quit their jobs and followed him around from town to town to town and they told people about Jesus. Some people absolutely hated him so much so that uh, when it came to the brand new thing he, he established, they plotted against him and killed him for it. And then some people, look, they, they kind of liked him, they, they didn't, didn't dislike him, but when it came to his teachings, they didn't uh, take it and apply it to their life and they kind of missed out on this brand new thing that Jesus came to establish and what we're going to discover along this series is a lot of these, th- all these three same reactions are th- reactions that we as a church today and we as a community um, have had to Jesus' teachings, uh, particularly when it comes to church. And that's what we're going to be looking at when, when Jesus stepped onto the pages of history. He established something brand spanking new when it came to relating to God and when it came to church. And people kind of reacted in these three different ways. And that's what we're going to be unpacking tonight and for the rest of this series. And if you're an unchurched person, if you've never been to church and you kind of have a tendency to resist church and really the only reason why you're here is to, for, to, for the waffles or to meet someone really cute tonight, um, uh, this is the perfect series for you because what we're going to discover along this series is a lot of the things that you resist about church are things that the church should resist about themselves. A lot of the things that you push back against church are things that the church should push back against themselves. And that's what we're going to discover along this series. Now, just, I just want to take a second to kind of paint you a picture like, or ask you a question. From an outsider's perspective, what is the church? I mean, what is the church? From an outsider's perspective, not a church person, not a Christian, but like from an outsider's perspective, what is the church? I think some people might say it's the most uncomfortable place in the history and the chairs are really awkward, it's a really ugly building. Some people might say it's a bunch of hypocritical, uh, judgmental people. Um, but what we're going to discover or what we're going to look at is the church should be really nothing more than a community of people who follow the teachings of a man sent by God to explain God and to clear the path to God. That's all the church should really be, a community of people who follow the teachings of a man Jesus, um, who was sent by God to explain God and to clear the path to God. And not only is the church a community who follow the teachings of a man sent by God, that man's primary, uh, here's what I want you to do, his primary number one or top three commands, really it was just one command with three application points, was love God, love your enemy, and love one another. And that was his three main teachings. And if the church is just a community that's supposed to love other people and love God, what's to resist about that? I mean, you don't need to like it. You don't need to uh, agree with it, but you shouldn't dislike it. There shouldn't be anything resistible about the church except for one thing. And and that is that we believe that Jesus is God. That's the only thing that should be resistible about the church. And everything else really shouldn't be something to resist. But I'm telling you, in my personal experience, I have never heard the reason why I don't go to church is because, oh, look, they just believe Jesus is God. I've heard a stack of other reasons. I've heard, oh, look, 
it's, it's an uncomfortable building, it, it's a form of torture, it's the longest hour of my life, uh, they're, they're judgmental, they're hypocritical, um, you have to dress up like it's the 1920s, but I have never heard, the reason why I push back against church, the reason why I resist church, is because Jesus is God. So, but if the, if the one thing that should be resistible about church is that we believe Jesus is God, but a lot of things we resist are a lot more than that, I guess, how do, how do we become so resistible? How did the church become so resistible? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And what we're going to discover tonight is the reason why the church is so resistible and the reason why the church is unnecessarily resistible hasn't got to do with that new things got added, added in, but old things that should have been left behind got added back in and blended into this new uh, thing that Jesus came to establish. And to kind of get everyone on the same page and uh, set up the context for this uh, series, I want to introduce you to something that we're going to call the temple model. And the temple model pretty much uh, represents all ancient religions and most of the religions that operate today. And it goes all the way back to the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks. It it represents most uh, religions and how they operate. And even though it looks a little different in its different context, it always consists of four things. And that is, there are sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers. Now, I don't think sincere is the best word, but I wanted them all to start with S, so I just slapped sincere up there. I almost put superstitious followers because in most cases uh, it's more about superstitions than sincerity, but I thought, look, we'll give everyone the benefit of the doubt and we'll just call them sincere followers uh, for this series. So when it comes to the temple model, there is always a sacred place, whether it's a temple or a mosque or a, or a, a block of dirt or a, or a statue, there's a sacred place. And, and somewhere within that sacred place is a set of uh, sacred texts, where, whether that's an oracle or an inscription... And these sacred texts are taken by sacred men. And they're controlled by and taken by and interpreted by these sacred men. And these sacred men go out to... Is that really, like, echoing? Or is it just, like, me out the front? All right. All right. Um, and these are taken by these sacred men. And they go out to these their followers and they tell them, well, this is, this is what we, uh, we draw from the texts and uh, this is how you're supposed to live your life. And that's the way the temple model is always set up. There's always a sacred place. There's always a sacred text. There's always sacred men, and it always seems to be men uh, for some reason. And, um, and then there's sincere followers or a group of followers. And what we're going to find out is a lot of uh, these, or a lot of this temple model thinking is alive and well in today's culture. Uh, you go out to uh, uh, Africa and uh, you'll, you'll, uh, there'll be a witch doctor occasionally and this witch doctor uh, lives in, in, this, in this hut and within this hut he has, he has a, a, a set of inscriptions and oracles and um, he kind of controls the area and the sacred places, sacred texts and a sacred man and he kind of controls the area. So it is alive and well today and what we're going to discover tonight is this kind of temple model thinking is still alive and well in the church today. And I know what you're probably thinking, you're like, aren't we kind of running the temple model system here? Like, I mean, like, we're in a building, you're up the front, and, like, maybe uh, your mum might think you're a man, I think you're more of a boy, but, like, 
look, we're, I, we'll, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You're a man. Um, and, you know, you, there's, you're going to read the Bible at some point. Aren't we kind of running the temple model system here? And what we're going to discover is the temple model system and this temple model thinking has trickled into the church, but it should have never been that way. And here's why. The arrival of Jesus signaled the end of the temple model and the start of something brand new. That when Jesus stepped on the pages, to, oh, the pages of history 2,000 years ago, he brought something new. He established something brand spanking new. And this wasn't to be blended in with this temple model thinking. This wasn't just to be an add-on, a tack-on to this temple model thinking. This was supposed to replace this temple model and to bring a new understanding, a new meaning to church. And Jesus kind of establishes this uh, declaration that he's, he's bringing something brand spanking new and he's replacing this temple model in a conversation he has with his disciples, his, his 12 closest followers. And um, this, kind of, this conversation is recorded in the book of Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, and it's found in the New Testament. And uh, just before this conversation starts, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about uh, the emperor at the time, Caesar. And they've been talking about who uh, other people say Caesar is. And then Jesus kind of flips it on them and draws, uh, points the direction towards him. And he's like, well, if that's who people think Caesar are, who do people say I am? And his disciples kind of start shouting out some answers and they're like, we think you're John the Baptist. Some people think uh, you're a prophet. Some people think you're here to point the way and lead the way to the Messiah. And then Jesus kind of flips it on them and he's like, well then, that's what other people think about me. Who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, shoots up his hand and he's like, you are... You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, he's like, you're bang on, you're bang on the point there, Simon. And this wasn't revealed, to, or you didn't come up with this on your own. This was revealed to you by God. And then Jesus sets this up in this next sentence. And this is where he reveals and kind of announces this new movement, this new idea and thinking, this thing that was supposed to replace this temple model thinking. And he says this to Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock, on this declaration that you've just made that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, I will build a future tense, so it's not in existence. I will, on this rock, I will build my church. And unfortunately, uh, this, this little word, church, should have never entered uh, the Bible. And it's, it's a lot of the reason why uh, you... Uh, think, or a lot of people think that church is a location, it's a space. But this word church, um, it, as it appears in the original text of the Bible in, in Greek, and then it was later translated in English, the way it is, um, appears in the Greek text is the word ekklesia. And this word literally translates gathering or assembly or congregation. And when Jesus says, on, the, on this rock I will build my church, he's not talking about a sacred place or a group of sacred men who kind of have some, some, uh, some special insight into um, this plan of God, but he's talking about a new movement. He's announcing that there's a new movement, a new gathering of people who will center on this claim of Peter's that he is, Jesus is the son of the living God. This new gathering of people that will 
embody the same teachings of Jesus and the same love that he modelled in his life. And that's what Jesus is announcing at this point. He's not announcing that there's a sacred place and he's doing away with his temple model thinking. And for the first 300 years of the church's existence, the church got this right. They, they took and embraced this new movement, this new gathering that Jesus came to establish, and they just ran with it. And there wasn't sacred places, there wasn't sacred men kind of controlling these sacred texts, but they were a gathering of people who loved in the same way Jesus loved. And this community went out and blessed other people, and the church got off to an amazing start. And the only reason why people pushed back against church wasn't because uh, they, they were weird or they, they played unusual music, but it was because they believed Jesus was God. That was the only thing that people resisted about them. In fact, um, we're given like a little bit of an insight into the early church in the book of Acts, where it says this, and all the believers met together. So all, all the church people met together in one place and they shared everything. They sold their property, possessions, and shared their money with those in need. The, the church people, uh, they shared with the community. They, they loved those who were in need, and they, they blessed the community just like Jesus modeled in his life, and they took that teaching very seriously. And they worshipped together. They, they gathered together in the temple. Now, they're not talking about... They met in the temple, but this wasn't about a sacred place. This was just a place where they gathered, and the church was more about a gathering, not this place. They, they also met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared in their meals and great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. And then it says this, enjoying, all the good, uh, enjoying the goodwill of all people. So not just church people, but the goodwill of all people. Everyone, whether they believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, whether they believe that Jesus was God, they looked in on this community of people and the way they loved people and they were like, there's something different about those people. You know, I might not agree that Jesus rose from the dead, but there's something different about those people. And they experienced the goodwill of all people. And the only reason why people pushed back against the church, and the only reason why people resisted the church, was because that they believed Jesus is God. And that's the only thing that should be resistible about the church. And for the first 300 years, the church got it off to an amazing start. And they took this teaching, this new gathering that Jesus came to establish, and they applied it, and, and the church got off to an amazing start. And then, unfortunately, some temple model thinking started to get blended in with Jesus-following thinking. And some of these old things that should have been left behind began to get added back into uh, this new movement, this new gathering that Jesus came to establish. And it's the reason why the church is unnecessarily resistible. Fortunately, though, uh, we have the opportunity to put this temple model thinking behind us once and for all and to re-embrace this teaching, this new movement, this new gathering that Jesus came to establish. Because here's what I know. The reason why you're here tonight and the reason why you have the perception of church you have and the reason why the person to your left has the perception of church they have and the reason why the person to your right has the perception of church they have is because of the way they saw and the way you saw the church act and treat other people and the way the church acted and treated you. And consequently, it's ultimately we, the followers of Jesus, 
that determine what comes to mind when people hear the word church. So I want to challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who's a church person, I want to challenge you this week. If you're new to Beyond, uh, we have this thing called Four Monday because we believe there is no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you or change you for Monday. And this week's for Monday, if you're a church person, if you're a follower of Jesus, is this. To re-embrace this teaching of Jesus that you are the church. The church isn't a building, but you are the church. And begin to live that out in your life. And to begin to live a life which mirrors the life of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about keeping 600-odd commandments. I'm not even talking about keeping 10 commandments. I'm talking about taking one teaching of Jesus and applying it. And that is that you love one another. That in every circumstance, that in every situation that you find yourself in, you ask yourself the question, how can I leverage love? How can I love in this situation? That when you're at home and somebody says something that just absolutely ticks you off and you want to throw them across the room, I totally understand that reaction. I've got two younger brothers, but... If, when you're in that situation, instead of ripping them a new one and getting, digging, having a dig at them to leverage love, when you're at work and, and somebody does something which just kind of gets on your nerves, instead of snapping and kind of repaying that person with what you think is fit, to ask yourself, how can I leverage love? So that's, that was Jesus' central teaching. And you love one another and when the church loves the only thing that's resistible about the church is that we believe Jesus is God and all the other resistible things about church are stripped away so if you're a follower of Jesus I want to challenge you this week in every situation in every circumstance with every person you come eyeball to eyeball with to ask yourself how can I leverage love how can I love in this situation and if you're an unchurched person, maybe you've had a bad church experience. And when you hear the word church, you don't think of a community of people that love Jesus. You don't think of a loving community, but you think of a, a community of people who are, who are judgmental and hypocritical, narrow-minded. I, I totally understand. In fact, I have no doubt if I'd experienced what you had experienced, and I'd seen what you had seen, and I had gone to the church you went to, I have no doubt that I would have the exact same view. So I totally understand. And I understand that I, nor anybody else, may ever be able to redefine the word church in such a way that you're like, yeah, I want to, I want to be a part of one. And that's not even the goal. But my hope for you is this, if you're an unchurched person, that through all you've experienced, through all you've seen, and through the way the church has been modelled to you, that you wouldn't miss Jesus through it all. That you wouldn't be robbed of what Jesus has to offer because of the way church was modelled to you. See, Jesus loves everyone, and he loves you. He died for everyone, but he, if you were the only person in the universe, he still would have died for you. He has a hope, a plan, and a future for you. And he offers the gift of eternal life for you, and he wants a relationship with you. And if you want to experience that, I just hope that you don't miss out on what Jesus has to offer and experiencing that because of the way church was modeled to you. 
So I want to challenge you this week, if, you're an, if that's you, if you're an unchurched person, to come join us next week, 6.30, here at Beyond. And join us for the rest of this series, brand new, as we continue to unpack what the word church means and what Jesus meant by church and what he came to establish. And just to give yourself a new perspective, a new understanding of church. And then you can make up for yourself whether this church thing was modelled in the correct way to you and you still don't want anything to do with this Jesus guy or whether the way the, the church acted and treated you was in opposition to the way Jesus, Jesus uh, taught that church was meant to be. We're going to wrap up in prayer right now. Dear Father, um, just thank you uh, for tonight. Thank you for this, um, the blessing that you've uh, given us of, be, of uh, having Beyond Church up for one year. We just thank you that you came to establish something brand new. And I just pray that you help us to love in such a way that draws people closer to you. And I just pray for everyone here tonight who's maybe had a bad church experience, maybe have a, has a tendency to push back against church, Lord, that you would give them a new understanding, a new perspective on church. In your name we pray. Amen.